Our gospel lesson this morning is out of John chapter 14. We'll be reading verses 15 through 27. I know verse tw- it's only printed to verse 26 in your bulletin. That is because someone sent the wrong verse numbers in an email, that someone being me. Uh, so we're going to read an extra verse. John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning and we confess that we need your help. We need you to speak. We live in times that are uncertain and we are people who are deaf and blind without your help. Would you come and speak? Would you come and meet with us? Would you come and open our eyes, open our hearts to hear what you have to say? Would you speak? We're here to listen. Amen. Before I went to seminary, I actually had another job, surprisingly enough. I worked in hotels. I worked in a bunch of Hilton hotels all across Jacksonville. And one of the first things that you learn when you work in a hotel, surprisingly, is the fire procedure. What to do in case of a fire. Because hotel fires are incredibly dangerous and often incredibly deadly. And you may think, well, obviously that's because there's a lot of people. They may be older buildings that are not well constructed. And so, you know, fires can spread very quickly and cut off access or there are not enough escape routes or anything like that. But actually what you learn is that the building is very well constructed. The fire escapes are very accessible. They are built to withstand close to nuclear catastrophe. That the building design is not the problem, but the problem is what people call normalcy bias. Normalcy bias. Normalcy bias is this ability that you and I have to block out any external signals that would tell us that something is wrong. We're very good at this. Um, We are very talented at just blocking out anything that stands in the way of us having a good time. 
I got to experience this once. I was working at a hotel here in Jacksonville um, at a pretty big hotel. It was a Friday night, very busy. We had a bunch of people coming, coming in from out of town, getting to see people catching up. We had made it through kind of the rush of people checking in and had kind of settled into the night. I thought the busiest parts were behind us. I was there talking with a colleague. And all of a sudden, the fire alarm goes off. We have no idea why. It's definitely not a drill. I'm looking around for what to do. My manager grabs me, you know, brings me to the back, pulls out the fire procedures, and begins to give us each jobs. And so one person's job was to get on the phone and start calling rooms that had people in them to tell them to get out of the building. Others were to go to the restaurant and make sure that people got out. Some were to go into the lobby and direct people. Another person was to meet the fire department and show them where to go. My job was to go to the pool and make sure that the people in the pool knew the way out and got out. And so I'm going, you know, trying to walk um, briskly but calmly um, to the pool. I walk to the back. There's, the alarm is blaring. The sirens are flashing. Everything is going on. Um, the fire department is on the way. Our alarm system is set up that the fire department would be called automatically. So the trucks are pulling up out front. Firemen are coming in. They're looking, you know, where's the fire? What do we do? And I get to the pool, and all the people are still there. They haven't moved. And it's loud. I can barely get my voice loud enough. As you can tell, I, I'm pretty loud, so it's a loud place. And I'm yelling, hey, everyone, you follow me. We need to get to safety. You can see the fire alarm is going off. I mean, you know, you've seen fire alarms before. They're loud, and they're big, bright flashing lights, and there are firemen in the lobby. And this gentleman looked at me from the pool, and I'll never forget this. He looked at me and said, do we have to get out of the pool? Yes, yes, there's a fire. You need to get out of the pool. But what was going on was he was saying, this can't be real. There's no way that this is really happening. This can't be directed at me. I'm having a very good time. And though there were bright lights and loud noises and all the signals you would need to know there was a fire, he just couldn't believe it. And it's interesting that that's our default setting when it comes to God's Word. Romans chapter 1 says that we suppress the truth, we fight against the truth, we claw against the truth, we push against it. Anything that would tell us that we're not what we want to be, or anything that would come in and interrupt us in our own mission, we push against it, we fight, even though all the signs are there. Doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter in the hotel whether you're a first time guest, a seasoned traveler, even if you work in the hotel, you're all susceptible to this normalcy bias. And even if you're in the church, you might be a brand new Christian, you might have been here all your life, you might even work in the building, but you're still susceptible to this bias. And so the question becomes how can we break through? How, when we put up all these defenses, all of these armor, all of this resistance against what God has to say to us, how is it that God can break through? What do we need God to do? And we find the answer here in Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. We get a little bit of a, a glimpse that even though this psalmist has written 176 verses about the law, he confesses, Lord, I need you. I need your help. And he says that we need three things. We need God to teach us, to lead us, and to change us. 
First, we need God to teach us. This is verse 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. On the surface, this seems a little bit redundant for you and me. We're like, well, you know, back when this was written, not everybody had access to a Bible. But now we can just go on Amazon. You know, if you just ask Pastor Chuck, I'm sure he'll find one for you. You could just read it. We can just get a library card and go find one. I don't know any of you have library cards, but back in the day, I guess when you had library cards, you could go get a library card and just read it. Shouldn't we just go and study it? Shouldn't we just go and memorize it? Isn't that enough if we just go and apply ourselves long enough, if we sit with it long enough, if we study it hard enough, we'll finally be able to figure it out. Isn't that all we need to do? But I think the psalmist is pushing us to something a little bit more profound. He's pointing us to the fact that we need God to constantly be revealing himself to us. We need God to constantly be showing himself to us. Romans eleven thirteen says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, God's greatness is unsearchable. Meaning you can search all that you want and you would never get to the end of God. You would never find out all that there is to know about him, all that he has to share with you, all that he's done for you. You will never come to the end of that. And so we cannot just simply reflect on God. No, we need God to come to us. He is so much higher than us. He is so much bigger than us. We need him to condescend. We need him to come down and speak to us if we're going to see clearly. And this is why we have this prayer of illumination, this prayer before the sermon. We're making a powerful confession that, Lord, if you don't show up, we might as well just sleep in on Sunday morning. Might as well just pack it up. Because if you don't show up here, if you don't come and teach us, if you don't come and be our senior pastor, then we'll never know. We'll never learn. We'll never grow. We need you to teach us. The second piece of this in this verse 34 is give me understanding. Give me understanding. I don't know if this happens to you, but I'm very good at applying scripture to other people's lives. I don't know if that's anybody else in here. I'm sure that's just me. But I'm really good. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You're sitting in church and you're hearing a sermon and, you know, this is, it's a good sermon and you're like, oh man, if only she were here to hear this. Or, oh man, if only he was here to hear this. Oh goodness, if only they were here to hear this, then they would see the light. We're very good at deflecting. But when it comes to ourselves, we are very good at filtering out any information that says that we are not perfect. Very good at filtering out any information that says that might actually be about me. And so we confess that we need God to give us understanding, to break through the armor that is around our hearts, to break through all of the resistance that we put up, all the blame shifting, all the pointing of fingers. We need God to break through that. Give us understanding. Tell us the truth about him and about ourselves that we need to hear. We're like the people in the hotel. We need someone to break through. So give us understanding. Next, the psalmist in verse 35 says, lead me in the path of your commandments. Lead us. 
There's a sense in when we're being led that we are already in the path. The sense of us being led, we are starting on a journey. And what the psalmist is saying is not only do I need God to bring me to that place, not only do I need God to set me on the path, not only do I need this God to come to me once, but I need him to come to me over and over again, to lead me step by step as I go every single day. I need God to move me forward. The psalmist will later say, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Apart from your word, I do not know where I am going. I need you to show me. Calvin, old dead guy, says it this way. The grace of illumination, meaning God coming and revealing himself to us, is no less necessary for our minds than the light of the sun for our eyes. We ourselves open our eyes to behold the light, but the eyes of the mind, unless the Lord open them, remain closed. Nor does Scripture teach that our minds are illuminated only on one day and that they may thereafter see for themselves. No, we need continual direction at every moment. Continual direction at every moment. Lord, lead us is our confession that we need you all the time to show us what to do, to apply the truth to our hearts, to find new ways for us to see. Because every time we think we might know the path, a coronavirus pops up, and then you realize you don't actually know as much as you thought you did. The world is a very different place than it was a little while ago, and we were all quite comfortable in it. And now we would confess we need God to lead us. I have a three-year-old, which means that there's a wealth of sermon illustrations that come out of my house. He's got quite this interesting habit. He's started to notice certain things about my speech patterns and has started to mimic those and to also correct them. He's found some things about how I talk that he doesn't like. Abby's probably favorite one of these is Abby and I will be having a conversation, which often means I'm, ha- I'm monologuing. It's the, you know, occupational hazard when you marry a preacher. And Winston will say, Daddy, 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 stop, stop. Let Mommy talk. <laughs> and you just, in the most exacerbated three-year-old, you just take a chill pill. So that's Abby's favorite. My personal favorite is, you know, very often with three-year-olds, you have to, at least with my three-year-old, you have to remind them of the truths that you're, that you're trying to instill. It's not a one-time instruction. It's an overtime stage. Hi, buddy. It's an overtime instruction over and over again. You have to keep reminding them of the truth. And so very often something will happen once he'll get overexcited, he'll do something, not even because he's trying to do wrong, just he, his mind left him and something happened. And so I'll say, Winston, you know, come, let's, let's talk about this. And I'll begin to say, now, what's our rule? And I'll begin to start explaining the rule and say, daddy, 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 don't say it. Don't, don't say it. Don't say it. Because he's like, I know, I know the rule. I know what's going on. I know what you're about to say. But the truth that I'm trying to teach him is he needs to be reminded over and over again of those truths. He needs to be reminded over and over again. This is what Jesus says in John 14, that the Spirit is going to come and he's going to remind you of what I spoke to you. He's going to call to mind the truths of the gospel. What you and I need is not necessarily a new truth. We need to be reminded of the truths of the gospel and how they apply to our lives every single day, in every single moment. We need God to lead us. 
And finally, we need God to change us, verses 36 and 37. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Incline my heart and turn my eyes. First, we need God to incline our hearts. Romans chapter 7, Paul describes this war that he is constantly in with himself. That I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. That there is this battle that goes on and that we need constantly for God to be moving our hearts back to the Word of God, constantly moving our hearts back towards Him, constantly changing our affections, constantly bringing us back. Friends, if we try to keep the law in our own strength, we will fail every time. If we think we'll just build up enough strength, just get enough willpower, and then we'll be able to achieve it, you will fail every time. The psalmist confesses, God, I need you to change my heart. And secondly, he says, turn my eyes from worthless things. Worthless things in Scripture, empty things, vain things, are not just things that are talking about vanities or sort of excesses. Very often that idea in Scripture points to idols. Worthless things are things that promise everything but deliver on nothing. Worthless things, these idols that will say, if you will only serve me, if you will only worship me, if you would only bow down and give yourself to me then you would have X that you desire. And the psalmist says, turn my eyes from these worthless things that constantly disappoint. Turn my eyes from those things that I become transfixed on. Because if we're honest, we are constantly transfixed on the cares and concerns and standards of our world. Constantly focused in, constantly unable to move our eyes off of what's right in front of us because it feels so real. I work with college students at UNF and some of them are here and one of the things that I say to them all the time when they talk to me about struggles and some of them have heard this before is I know what you're feeling because it feels like God's word is on audio and the world is on video. Like God's word is sort of in the background. You can kind of hear it playing but everything else feels really existentially real. It feels really present. It's right there on top of you and it seems like God is so far. The psalmist says We need God to constantly turn our eyes back to him to remind us what he's done for us, to remind us of his faithfulness, to turn our eyes from the things that attract us but are so worthless. In John chapter 6, Peter looks at Jesus and people are starting to desert Jesus because of difficult things. And Jesus says to Peter, were you going to leave also? And Peter says, Lord, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of life. We need God to turn our eyes and turn us back to Jesus. We'll close with this. The hymn, Love Constraining to Obedience, I think says it well. To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. No strength of nature can suffice to serve the Lord aright, and what she has she misapplies for want of clearer light. How long beneath the law I lay in bondage and distress. I toiled the precept to obey, but toiled without success. Then to abstain from outward sin was more than I could do. Now I feel its power within. I feel I hate it too. Then all my servo works were done, a righteousness to raise. Now freely chosen in the Son, I freely choose his ways. Brothers and sisters, you have been freely chosen in the Son. Come and let him change you. Come and let him transform you. 
Come and let him work in you. Let him guide you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are our great teacher, that you love us and care for us enough that you not only change us once, but you come to us over and over and over again. God, help us to trust that so often our cares and our concerns are on video. They feel so real. And sometimes your word feels so distant. Lord, remind us, turn our hearts, turn our eyes back to you. Help us to love you and to serve you more and more. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.